episode 55. That I really believe that everybody has a purpose and that everyone has value and that purpose is important and that you have to seek it out. It doesn't just happen and there's opportunities and there's destiny, but destiny has to, it has two parts. It's not just going to happen without you being intentional. That's what I've found. I've missed opportunities that I think were uh, available to me. But, and it could have been my destiny, but without me being intentional and seeking out to find out the truth about who I am and everything that, that I have to offer, I missed out on something. You might be smarter, your daddy might own a company, but you will not outwork me. This one right here is for the people. I'm your host, Ryan J. Owens, current pro athlete, entrepreneur, and former USA national team volleyball player. I will not be defined by my athleticism alone, but I've learned how to leverage it, to stay passionate about it, and prepare for life. That's why the Beyond Athletic Podcast was born. I'll bring you case studies of current and former elite athletes making it happen in life, as well as tips and lessons from top sources in sports, nutrition, fitness, entrepreneurship, and more. I'm here to tell you that you are Beyond Athletic. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode on Beyond Athletic. I am so happy to bring you and excited to bring you the next guest. This is going to actually be a two-part series because she loves to talk and I love to talk to her. So this guest is going to be Therese Crawford, longtime member of Team USA, founder of Connect With Your Gift, currently living in Serbia, very close to me, mother of three uh, wonderful, beautiful children. Um, we met back in 2005 on the national team and she had already been there for a couple of years and wow since then I mean I don't even know how to uh, tell you guys everything about her but we went from not knowing each other to training in the same gym blood sweat and tears uh, eating lunch together you know everybody eats together in this um, community uh, in Colorado Springs to just chatting about general life and volleyball to advice on volleyball to me actually helping her out uh, with deals and then ultimately being her agent and somewhere along those lines uh, we became very close friends and she's like a sister to me Uh, and after that her last uh, couple teams I think were through me and she ended up meeting her husband who was our last guest episode 54 so if you want to check that out with Boris Simurina that is beyondathletic.com forward slash five four so this one today is literally just going to be a lot of background on her I think she has a wealth of information Uh, by the title of this episode you can gather what you're going to hear in it but she is a player with tremendous, tremendous talent. And just to find out what she says in this episode about what she figured out after she stopped, right there are just huge takeaways for athletes to, to just 
nip that in the butt as soon as possible because I too could resonate with exactly what she said because I just felt those things about my career and up until you know recently and that's an issue and I know that more athletes deal with it so listen to this episode yes I'm being very vague I want you to hear it and then I want you to hear the the second part which really dives into those things those issues uh, how to get past it and of course uh, you're going to have ways to connect with her you could just find her online with Connect With Your Gift on Facebook. So Therese and Boris started a project out there in the Tara mountain range called Retreat Tara. Really exciting because at the end of this month, another guest from Beyond Athletic, Norisha Campbell, who's a professional singer nowadays, converted from professional volleyball athlete, was also someone on the national team together. So all these people are linked and like I always say, I'm very grateful and fortunate to just have so many different people like this that can add value in so many different ways to not only my life, but other people's lives to bring onto the show. So check out Retreat Tara. Uh, I will link that up also, but the both of them combined are just a powerful couple. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, share it out. Remember, Beyond Athletic dot com forward slash 55 next week is obviously going to be 56 this will be part one please comment leave any review on itunes wherever you find this and remember share it with somebody who you think of as you're listening enjoy i grew up as the youngest child of three i'm a single mom my mom and dad were divorced when I was three, so I didn't remember my father ever being in the house. Um, but I knew him. He would pick us up on the weekends. I remember when I was younger, but I didn't have a father figure in the house growing up. So it was mom and, and my two older sisters, which are eight and ten years older. So it was quite a break there. Um, my mom worked in a factory, Upjohn Pharmaceutical Company. And so she would work all day and I would go to what was my honey mama's house. What's all day? Um, early in the morning. I think I, I remember, this is my memories. I would, my mom had a Corvette. She had a white Corvette and this is going to sound scary, dangerous now, but these were different times then. So since she didn't want to wake me up, she would put me um, in my pajamas. I would lay in the back of the Corvette. Cause Corvette is two seater. I would lay in the back of the trunk kind of the Corvette and sleep until we got to what I called my honey mama's house, which was actually my aunt um, on my father's side, an older aunt. And then I would get in the bed there and sleep, and then she would come and pick me up in the afternoon around 3, 4 o'clock. So I don't know what time it was early in the morning, but she would be at work all day. And I would stay at my honey mama, which is an older woman who had daughters, older daughters and sons, one who was into gymnastics. So I got into gymnastics at a very early age because her... One of her daughters was into gymnastics and had a gym and was a judge later on. And so she would um, take me to her gym as I get older. And when I was younger, she had me doing uh, headstands. I have pictures of me <laughs> at three years old being the mascot of the church cheerleading group. And I would run out <laughs> with a pillow because so it wouldn't hurt my head. And I would do a headstand in the, in the middle of their pyramid or whatever. So I was already doing at three years old. Literally, the picture is time stamped. And so um, I got into gymnastics a little bit, but then it wasn't short before. I was too inflexible and too tall. 
They were like, I remember her telling me she's going to be too tall to do gymnastics. So I outgrew that and went into dance. And my mom was smart. She kept us always involved in something. It didn't matter what it was that we were interested in, whatever we were interested in, she gave us the opportunity to pursue it. So I got into jazz. I remember I was pretty good. So then they wanted me to kind of go into the formal type of training. So they put me in a ballet class which was a classical ballet class. I remember the lady was speaking. Mm. My memories were of a lady speaking another language. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, because in classical ballet, the, the names of the positions are in French. Oh, uh, okay. And so I, to me, that was just she <laughs> speaking another language, and I don't know what this language is. And they stuck me in the class that I think most of the other girls in this class had been in ballet from when they were young. Many years, yeah. And so um, they saw potential in me, so they wanted me to jump in with them, but I had no clue, and I'm not flexible. And it's it's a very <laughs> disciplined kind of thing, and I just like to dance. I was like, mm-hmm. no, put me back in jazz where well, we yeah. can just get it. You're free. Yeah, so um, I didn't like that. I got out of that. And the next was sports. So in school, then I started playing sports. Mm-hmm. Which sports? Um, basketball first. Um, and my mom. Again, just gave me the opportunity to to start playing. There was somebody that she knew, one of her friends, and he had a a kids club that I think I was in like fifth or sixth grade when I started playing. So that was before they had sports in school. Mm-hmm. And so um, like the school sport. And so then I started playing with this group of girls that were um, had a team on the weekends. We would play at the community gym and it was part of a league. And then my mom took me because I showed potential in that. Then she took me down to the ghetto to play <laughs> yeah. in the community center in the ghetto, which I thank her so much for because my mom put me in situations that would have been very uncomfortable, that were uncomfortable for me and put me with people that I wasn't um, around socially. But she was always there. So she would come to the practices. She would come to the mm-hmm. games. So I had security, yet it was an uncomfortable position, which... Now I thank her for it because I can be around anybody. I can get comfortable with anybody in any situation because I've been in that kind of environment since mm-hmm. I was young, you know. So yeah. I'm really thankful for that. So then I played basketball, and um, I was never very good at shoot. I wasn't. I was an athlete. I was a good athlete playing basketball. So I wasn't very good at like the technical part of basketball, like dribbling mm-hmm. and shooting. I made many, many layups because of the fast break. I would be like, I would rebound. I made many um, baskets for the opposite team because mm-hmm. <laughs> I would rebound the ball and put it right back up. Like the, my thing is like, get them off me, rebound it and put it up, you know, put it right back up. And I would forget that, no, it was halftime and we had switched sides. So I wasn't supposed to wow. be shooting at that basket. Or mm-hmm. I would be the first bound down on the fast break, but they would be like tentative to want to give me the ball because I was probably going to miss the layup. <laughs> but like there was nobody, I mean, I had left everybody behind. Yeah. You know, I was all the way at the other, other side by the basket, but yet, eh, I didn't give it to her. That's funny. So. So from basketball, how did you get into volleyball? It was just another sport. So I played, um, when I got to junior high or middle school, it was for us actually middle school. Then um, seventh grade, they had uh, basketball was the first season. And in Michigan, it was different. We were the opposite of the rest of the country. So basketball came first, and then volleyball came after. So I played basketball my normal season, and the next sport to come up was volleyball. And so I said, okay, mm-hmm. I'll play volleyball. At that time, I didn't know anybody who had played volleyball. I didn't know anything about the game of volleyball, nothing. So I'm actually left-handed. I write and I eat with my left hand. Mm-hmm. But I started playing because when they started teaching it, they taught with their right hand. 
because majority of people write. So I learned to play volleyball with my right hand because I just assumed that's what you do because yeah. everybody's doing it. I never wrote with my hand. It was like I'm left-handed. So, um, yeah, just my right hand. My left hand didn't know how to do it either, so <laughs> <laughs> I just went ahead and learned how to do it with my right hand. And so, uh, what age was that at? How old are you in seventh grade? 12? Yeah, 12. Like, yeah, 12, 11, 12. Because then I, that was seventh grade and I had a coach. And then in eighth grade, I um, played again just the school and I was 13. And this coach saw some potential in me. She was actually from Latvia, I want to say. And she had two older daughters that were in the varsity in high school and they were very good. And she saw some potential in me and she didn't have a team. She coached a club team from my area, but she mm -hmm. didn't have a team for younger players. So she said, she told my mom, you know, she's got a lot of potential. She should go play for this guy who was in a nearby area, but kind of a suburb of the area that I was from. And she said, you know, he has a club team and, and you should put sign up to go and play in that team. What was this coach's name, by the way, the woman? The woman was uh, Lil Ostrens. What is it? Lil Ostrens. Lil Ostrens. Mm -hmm. Ostrens. Austin. And so she gave me my, I mean, thankfully to her, really, that was the beginning for me because I don't think this coach would have ever seen me until I was a lot older because he coached high school and he coached this club because his daughters were, were my age. So, and then he coached high school. So I don't think I would have ever seen him. He would have never seen me because I was in a different school, a different even class. His school was class B or A, class A and my school that I was attending at that time was class B, so he would have never even seen me. Mm. Um, That's just like the, to say like a smaller school. Right, 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 right? smaller community, mm. and so less school, so that means a large, uh, smaller class. And so, yeah, he wouldn't have seen me until I got into high school, and then they'd have the tournaments mixed and mingled with the classes. And so, um, because it opened the door, which I don't believe is an accident, then I was able to go to the tryout for this. Well, my mom was like, okay, another th opportunity for her, so she's going to put me in it. So she goes to the trial and afterwards, or while we're trying out, they have the, the parents meeting and the lady says, okay, um, and talks about the fee for playing. And my mom starts laughing because <laughs> it was a lot of money. I can't even remember what was a lot of money at that time. I know by the end, she always talks about that she was paying $2,000, which for that, for my mom was at that time, just an enormous amount of money for for a recreational sport for her daughter to play. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't, nobody in our in our family had played sports before. My my sisters had done track a little bit, but just in school-wise where it's mm -hmm. all free. They had never done anything where she needed to actually, the most was band classes or some kind of extra classes, but that's what, $30 a week or, you know, yeah. something like that. So two thousand at the end, I know that we were playing $2,000 for the club the whole season, which now is nothing yeah. compared to what people are playing. But, but at still, that back time, then, that was a lot of money. For my mom, who was a single mom, and she just, uh, it was ridiculous. So she told, she had gone home, and she said she remembered telling my sisters, you better get outside and play some volleyball with your sister, because these people, these crazy people are out there play, paying this <laughs> amount of money for their daughters to play volleyball. And so, um, but then my mom had a heart for her daughter, and she saw that I was getting outside and practicing on my own, and so she found a way to make it work. Oh. And so I was put in, I got an opportunity to play for that club. I made the team. And um, this is funny. I tell my niece now, my niece is now just starting her journey in volleyball. She's taller than me and has a lot more potential to, than I did at her age. And uh, I told her, this is what I did when I first went to that tryout because Auntie didn't know anything. Um, 
but these girls looked a lot better than me. So what I did is I found the best player in every drill that we did. I found the best person that I thought was doing that drill and I got made sure I was right behind them in every single drill. And I just copied what they did and then tried to do it better. So whatever they did, I tried to do it better. And I just copied what they did. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know anything else. So, and that must have stood out because then they took me, even though technically I was clueless. But athletically, I was superior. Mm -hmm. So I just added my athleticism to whatever they were doing. If they were shuffling, I tried to shuffle faster. If they were getting low on defense, I tried to get lower. If they were running, I ran faster. If they were jumping, I jumped higher. Mm -hmm. And just copied what they did and tried to do it better. So that's what I told my niece. And that was the beginning of an amazing journey with this coach. I still think he is the best coach. His name is Jack Michelson. I've been around a lot of coaches. Um, for me, for his age group, he's the best. He Do you remember the, which school he coached at? Uh, for When I was there, he coached at Portage Northern. And I eventually ended up transferring to Portage Northern. I had some problems once I got up to high school. Um, I was a freshman, and I made the varsity team. And uh, I'm kind of a legacy there because my freshman year, I approached. I was a middle blocker. I'm only 5'10". I was a middle blocker. And I approached for every single ball, every, every time that I was in. And I started and I played. Um, and I approached for every <laughs> single ball. I didn't get set once. Wow. Not once, but I approached. <laughs> I called. Every single ball. And I approached for every. I mean, you can watch a video and it's a leg. I mean, like everybody knows. I did not get set. Not one ball. Not one ball. <laughs> As a freshman, not one. But I approached. And so, um. After that, I started getting better, obviously, as I was, I continued to play with this club with these girls in the summer mm -hmm. that were at another level. And the training for us was at a higher level than, than other people. So we got a different mentality because, um, we worked hard and we earned a different way of doing it. It was a higher mm -hmm. expectation of us. So then later I carried that into the, the high school team that I went to. So those girls had not played on that club team with me. Mm -hmm. So when I went into the gym, I had a different expectancy. It wasn't that I was trying to be better or I was trying to act better. I was better. It was just who I was. I was being me because I carried the mentality from this other club into this different environment where these girls had played for a different club. And it actually turns out to be that they had played for the little Ostrom's club mm -hmm. because she had, the, this was an older group now and she had that club. Well, I stayed with this guy. And as his daughters got older, he took the higher group. He kept this whole group kind of together. So I benefited from that. And so we just had a different mentality. I mean, our trainings, we trained a lot harder. He caught a lot of flack. Thank goodness that we had the parents that we did that were supportive, that my mom was very uh, supportive of hard work. And so she wasn't afraid if I came home and or if I was tired or if she saw me in a practice crying because I was exhausted or I didn't think I could do it. Or I mean, I don't think there was one player during this training that didn't cry at some point. And not because just because they were exhausted and they were pushing themselves beyond their mm -hmm. limits. They thought that they couldn't do more and he knew we could and he would push us to do more. And so that was the mentality that we had. And so I ran into jealousy when I was in high school um, and ended up transferring to the this high school where he, he was at. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, and then from there, I mean, you you if we fast forward, because I mean, that's a tremendous story already and there's so much more in it. But just for the sake of time, yeah. you, you, you got scouted, um, by a few different schools. Mm -hmm. Those were, and then you ended up where? I got scouted by 
at that time, I had made the top 25 list um, in the country coming out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And Kalamazoo, Michigan, at that time, the Midwest was unknown of, for volleyball. I remember we went to nationals with our club team. We were dead frog. We went to nationals. And every, at the nationals, they, um, the USVBA at nationals, when you go for the opening ceremonies, they give you a banner from each state. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a banner. Because they, <laughs> they're like uh, Michigan as well. Yeah, they didn't have a banner for. That's how much Michigan just was not the Midwest. Okay, and I say the Midwest because actually there was Sprite volleyball out of um, Illinois. Illinois. Illinois volleyball actually was kind of a, a stamper sticking out, but most of those players stayed in the Midwest, so they played for the colleges that were in the Midwest. And Illinois at that time was a big college for volleyball, and I want to say Ohio State was a big college for volleyball at that time, mm-hmm. but there. But they, the girls that played there stayed in the Midwest. Yeah. The big schools winning national championships were on the West Coast. That's just how it was at that yeah, time yeah. when I was growing up, 90s. That's how it was. So um, Michigan was unheard of. But I got ended up being top 25 in the country. And um, this is at, as a senior. As a junior. As, as a, a junior. junior. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so much has changed. So I got... I got to take all at that time, you know, you could take your five visits, which nobody does now because people signed before. But I was fortunate enough to be during the time where you could take them. And I took all five of my visits and they were spread out. I took um, one to Illinois just in case I wanted to stay close to home, which I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to do. But just in case. And then I went to Texas um, where McKaylee was coaching and I went to um, Long Beach State. I went to use. No. I went to Hawaii, I went to Florida, where Mary Wise was, and Illinois, Illinois, Long Beach State, Hawaii, Hawaii, Florida, Texas, and Florida. Texas, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I thought for sure I was going to go to Long Beach State. I just was in love with the coach there. I love the system there. Who was the coach? Um, Brian. Brian, Brian Jamalaro. Yes. And so. Um, he came out to visit me in a home visit, and I I was pretty sure I was going to go there. And I was going to tell Dave at Hawaii that I wasn't going to take the visit because I didn't want to waste their money. And I was like, you know, I, I know I want to go to Long Beach, so I don't mm-hmm. want to just take a visit just to take one. That's not right. They were my last visit. And my mom said, oh, no, you're going to take that visit. She said, that might be your only opportunity to ever go to Hawaii. <laughs> She's like, you're going on that visit. And I was like, Mom, I don't want to just use them you know, for yeah. a visit to Hawaii. That's not right. And she was like, oh, you're going. So I went and fell in love with it because I had this already instilled in me about being around people that were not like me. What I fell in love with about Hawaii, it was like being in another country for me. Mm-hmm. There were people that I had never seen before, all these different cultures, different foods. They spoke a language. They have kind of a local language there that's kind of, they call it pidgin, but it's, you know, just a a dialect of English Mm -hmm. that they use there. But and all this, I mean, brown people and beige people, and it was just amazing to me. So I was overflooded with culture, which I had learned to love, Mm -hmm. learned to love being around people that I didn't look like that were different. And um I fell in love with that, and the the school obviously, and the tradition of volleyball there was obviously huge, and chose to. And then I just knew. And Dave actually came back. He came for two home visits. He came back again during my bad. It wasn't even volleyball season. It was basketball season. Mm-hmm. He came out and watched me play basketball, and it just kind of sealed the deal. So I ended up going to Hawaii. Well, and then from there, I mean, you made a big step. You went to USA Volleyball. Right. That was that was interesting because I. Um, 
I tried out for USA Volleyball after my senior year of Hawaii, but I didn't make it. And at that time, um, Mick was the coach, and that was going to be for the Sydney Olympics and uh, the 2000 Sydney Olympics. And he had told me when I tried out, he had said, um, you know, a coach told me this before, and it was good advice. He said, you're too old to be a rookie, and you're too young to be a veteran. And that's why he cut me. So this is where things like this happen. And this is where you have to, if you're determined and you have to, and you'll persevere and you really believe in yourself, then you don't allow what somebody else's perspective of you to stop you from your dream. If you really mm -hmm. believe in yourself. Yeah. So I went home. I could have gone back to Hawaii. This is really tempting. I could have gone back to Hawaii where I had a car and I already had a job. I had, a, had done an internship during my fifth year. It was my fifth year. I had played my all four years. I had started part of the year as a freshman at Hawaii when I went in there. And so, um, my four years of eligibility I used up. I stayed there for my fifth year and uh, had an internship, you know, had a job, whatever. So I could have gone back to Hawaii. Didn't make, didn't get to do my dream to go to USA Volleyball. Mm -hmm. I could have gone back to Hawaii. Would have been nice. But I chose to go back home to Kalamazoo, which was really hard because then that meant going back into my mom's house. I didn't have a job. I had to find a job. I didn't know what I was going to do. I ended up training. Um, with the university there, I had a great coach who was just, I think her, this is, I had had some key people who mm -hmm. helped guide me through volleyball. Um, Kathy George was there at Western Michigan, which is the, the university. It's a D1 university in Kalamazoo, Michigan. She was there and um, I was looking for a place to train. And at that time, NCAA rules allowed her to let me to train with them. That wasn't, that was before they made different rules or whatever. So I was able to train. I would wake up and this is their off season too. So I would, um, this is in the spring season. So I would wake up and train with them at six o'clock in the morning and then, um, be on the track with them. And I was beating those girls. I was not there just training. I was out there to do the best that I could do. I was training with a purpose. I didn't know what that purpose was. I didn't even know about professional international mm -hmm. volleyball. I didn't, I had no idea that that was even available. Which is wild. After five years of college, you had I've, no idea. No idea. I had met, now that I think about it, I had met, there was a girl who had come back. And talked to me. She was, she had played in Italy and, but I didn't even think of, at that time, I wasn't even thinking that my focus was USA volleyball. I didn't make it and I didn't know what was coming next, but I was just training. And so I got up every morning to train with them at six o'clock in the morning on the track, doing all of their, you know, spring workouts that are hard. Yeah. Running mostly all physical stuff. Um, and then I would go and do, I would go work at a minimum wage job. I found a minimum wage job from a, from my trainer from in high school. We had a sports kind of trainer. And mm -hmm. he had said that I could work in his office doing insurance, something, typing in data entry mm -hmm. type stuff. So I made a minimum wage job. I would go to work that. And then I would get done with that. And I would go back and do their volleyball practice in the afternoon. And I did that every day. And I, I did not know what was up next, but I just believed something was going to break for me because I just believed that I was supposed to be playing volleyball. Mm -hmm. So I kept doing that. And um, there was an opening for... The coach told me there's an opening for USPV uh, volleyball. They were going to start a professional league in the States mm -hmm. and that they were going to have tryouts in April in Chicago. And she said, I think you should go try out. I would have never heard about that on my own. She like, I was just training with her and then she had heard about it down, you know, I don't know, through the grapevine. And so she told me about it, went to it, tried out, made the team. That team had Ari Selinger as the coach. Ari Selinger is a legend in volleyball. He is 
the coach of Debbie Green, the Flo Hyman's, he's the one who made Flo Hyman, the Rita Crockett's, the, when you think now we have legend. Hall of Fame athletes. Hall of Fame athletes. He, and here he is in Chicago, Illinois, coaching, not the national team players, but the girls that did make the national team. So the USVB, uh, PV dream team at that time were full of girls that didn't make the national team. Mm -hmm. We were all the players that should have been like right there and didn't make the cut. So we were all hungry. Mm -hmm. All we wanted to do is get better. We were out to prove something. And uh, he took that drive and built in us a vision that we could do anything. Um, He made us believe that we literally, he gave us access to, thank goodness for um, Bill Kennedy, William Kennedy who funded the whole project with his own money out of his pocket. Um, He allowed us to be exposed to professional volleyball because in the States we weren't exposed to it. We didn't know Mm -hmm. the highest level. We knew college after college, USA volleyball, and that's it. Our Mm -hmm. minds had no idea about the professional volleyball, that there even was a whole world of professional volleyball. We were, because it's not seen on TV at home. We had no idea. You have but no we access to no it. access. So we had no idea that there was a whole nother level of volleyball that, that these players from other countries that are playing on their national teams were playing somewhere else during the time. Yeah. They, they, they didn't just train for their national team year round, yeah. that there was something else going on. We had no idea. So um, he gave us, he brought in videos of where he had coached in Japan. And we watched the Japanese style of the way that they were doing us. He showed us Cuba and the way that they trained. He took us to the Dominican and we went and played in the Dominican and got exposed to that. He took us to Japan and we traveled for different professional teams in Japan and got a chance Mm -hmm. to play with them. And he opened our mind and we were beating some of those teams because we were ignorant. I think one of the biggest things that coaches make mistakes of when they're playing with, when they're dealing with younger players is that they try to give them an education with intimidation. Like this is, do you know who this is across the net from you? This player does this, 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 and this. Is. We had no idea who these people were. Yeah, We were so ignorant, but we knew that we had trained our butt off. We mm-hmm. knew the work that we had put in. I mean, his trainings were re- ridiculous. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you we had a drill where we had to bounce the ball from inside the 10-foot line to the back wall. Now, the back wall was beyond the length of the volleyball court. So it had to be behind the volleyball court, and you had to be able to serve. So it had serving distance. It was just the legal amount of serving distance. I don't know how that is. Yeah, I think it's like three and a half, Okay, something like that, meters. So it had the wall was behind that. So we had to bounce the ball from the 10-foot line and hit the back wall. Mm -hmm. Everybody. I'm talking our setters had to do that. (laughs) Wow. And we did it. Yeah. That's just a mentality that we had. Now, it was a perfect set. We were doing it off the tosses. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It. But still, for so, even our yeah. setters to have the mentality that they, they could bounce a ball inside the 10-foot line. Bounce it inside the 10-foot line. It's a timing thing. And he made us all believe that we can do it. We could do it. Everybody did it. you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just the mentality that he gave us that And of course, that do. didn't just happen right off the bat. Of course not. But the training was and the mentality was that he had us in such a way that there was nothing that we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. He would say to do something and we didn't question it. Yeah. We believed we can do it. It was just a matter of learning how to do it, but we didn't think that we couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that was an awesome. I don't know how he does that when he's coaching because you're not try, you're not thinking about what you're doing. He would teach us techniques without ever saying a word about technique. It was just the way that he set up the drills, just the way that he ran the practices. We were moving 
the way that he he wouldn't tell us in the drill that you had to move together and it had to be it was where he was putting the ball that you forced you to move and -hmm. it forced the other person to move and just the style and but it was all effortless it was all there was never any pressure there was never any fear of um, not being able to do it because there was never any pressure of how you're supposed we didn't think about how you're supposed to do it you just did Mm -hmm. stuff and it was so natural so that was that was before I ever went to USA Volleyball so because of that at the end of that, I had a, a choice to make to either stay and play for the professional league, which was going to open up the next year, or to go and play overseas. There was an opportunity for me to go and play in Italy. And um, at that time, for me, I thought it was best for me to go and to play in Italy. So I left the league, which was kind of hard for me because I'm a loyal kind of person and they had invested in me. And without them, I would never would have been able to get to the mm-hmm. level to play in Italy. But I did feel like it was necessary for me to go the next level. So I went to Italy and played. And after that year, then I was invited to come and play for USA Volleyball. So oh. instead of going to trial, after I had missed it, I had gotten rejected from the trial in 2000, I was invited to come back in 2001 to be a part of the team and play under Toshi Yoshida. Mm. And so your, your career with USA Volleyball lasted from 2001 until? My last uh, time in the gym with USA Volleyball was 2010. Which is incredible. And, and during that time, I mean, you had, you've seen some of the girls that are actually on the team now. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Like how many players you've come across and how many people really have been affected by you? I know that you never made it to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I know that it was a huge dream. I know I haven't either. And that's a huge dream of mine. But unlike me, <laughs> you've affected so many people in such a strong, tremendous, like way. In terms of like your drive, your spark, your love, your compassion, all these different things. And so how much of that do you think uh, you, you've taken with you, like out of like in a gratitude level, whereas you might not have made it to where you wanted to be. But what did you take from all of those years with USA Volleyball? Um, wow. From USA Volleyball, I'm just starting. This is the sad part. I'm just starting as of last year to realize how much of that journey um, was such an amazing uh, blessing to me in my life. Because mm-hmm. my focus once I got to USI Volleyball was just the Olympics. I mean, my whole focus for volleyball in general, whether I was on a professional team, no matter what, my whole life mm-hmm. was focused on Olympics. And so uh, every time that I didn't make the Olympics, I saw that as a personal failure. I didn't realize all of the accomplishments that I had along the way, mm-hmm. all of the people that I had met, all of the all of the things that we had done together that, yes, I didn't make the Olympics, but the only difference between the Olympics and me were that they got to play in that last tournament. But in order to get to that last tournament, I had to be in every gym that, I, that they got the medal. But mm-hmm. after that, really, And even the medal after they're done with the Olympics, that's not that I'm degrading the Olympics at all in any way, shape or form. That is an amazing accomplishment. And it takes an extra level. There's a difference between them and I that was significant that allowed them to be an Olympian and me not to be. Mm -hmm. I don't discredit that at all. That is huge. That's a big jump. But as far as the journey, that last step between me and them is just a small step. Mm -hmm. It's just a small thing that they have that I don't have that everything that went up to built up to that point that I did have all of those accomplishments. I forgot about all of those. As far as I was concerned, my volleyball career was a failure up until last year. I'm about to be 40. My volleyball career started when I was 13. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten about all, 
my niece had come to me. People had asked me to give, you know, like um, speeches or to do something. Even you, you had asked me to do something. I didn't feel like I had anything to offer because I didn't have the medal. I was like, who wants to listen to me? Mm -hmm. I don't have anything to tell people. I didn't get the medal. I, you want an Olympian. You don't want me. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I had played in eight different countries. That I had been, that I had, you know. Before you even go on, list those countries. Okay. I um, started off playing in Italy. Then I went to uh, Russia. No, I went to Japan. Then I went, came back to Italy, went to Russia, um, Turkey. Uh, spent some time in Puerto Rico. Uh, Switzerland, oh, let me see. and USA, because mm -hmm. that was a pro league. I got paid That's to just incredible. play volleyball. So, so you you had forgotten that you had done all of that. You'd gone to these countries. To mm -hmm. I saw my career complete. And this is what I want people to understand. What, And I heard it before. People that say life is a journey. Don't get too focused on the goal. Realize that it's all a journey that, you know, each step is something. Don't mm -hmm. get... I had, it, that didn't compute with Life me. Life is a journey, not a destination. There you go. Mm -hmm. I'd heard that, but it didn't click with me. My, I was so driven, goal driven. Mm -hmm. It's what made me a click. You know, it's what made me good at a certain point because I was very focused on what it was that I wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. That was the goal and that's where we were going. But so much so that I missed all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And not reaching that goal to me meant I was a complete failure in my eyes. Because that that whole part of my life was a failure because I never reached, I never accomplished my goal. Mm -hmm. For I had never been in a situation before where I had never accomplished my goal. That to me was completely foreign. I'd always, whatever I went for, I'd gotten it. I didn't know what that was like. Mm -hmm. So um, when in 2008 at the Beijing Olympics, the one in Athens was a little bit shaky, but I was still young enough to know that I was coming back. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, and I was in a good enough position that I knew they were going to invite me back. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like that I was going to be, um, that I thought my career was over. In 2008, that I thought was the close of the door. I thought that was it. And then what surprisingly happened, I was in Puerto Rico. I um, got a call from you that, and asked me to come and go to um, Egypt with the team, that they had a young team that was mm -hmm. going to Egypt and he wanted to know, would I go to Egypt? And I was like, what the, huh? The USA uh, Yes. Uh, yeah. So I had, I went with uh, to Egypt with uh, Hugh and the team, and I was like, I'm putting I remember on a, this. Trip. I could not believe that I was putting on a USA jersey again. I was like, I just thought that these days were over, and I was trying to come to terms with it. And okay, but I was in Egypt with USA volleyball with some of the girls that I had played with before, and I was yeah. like, what in the, what what in the world is going on? But okay, and so <laughs> eating that up, and then I went home. And he had said when we were there, he was like, I'll, I'll get in touch with you or something like mm -hmm. that. And so I was thinking, okay, that was nice. They needed some players. It wasn't the top players that were there. They're all overseas, so they needed some players to come back, and I was available. That's how I saw myself. That's the sad part. Because mm -hmm. because I didn't reach my goal to go to Beijing, my confidence was shot. And so I didn't see myself. After that, I saw myself as a failure because I had poured everything that I knew to do into going to Beijing. Mm -hmm. So then I got into fear. I got really shaky and afraid of everything because my confidence was in my ability to be able to accomplish my goal. When I, when I had done everything that I know how to do and that wasn't enough, then what do you do? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what to do from there. So I was still playing volleyball, but I had no confidence. I was shot completely. 
So my mentality about myself was that I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. That was the worst thing that could happen. So how did you make this transition from that to where you ended up being towards the end of your career? I didn't. Yeah. I finished my career scared. Mm -hmm. My my career ended because I couldn't work up the faith anymore to keep trying. Mm -hmm. Because you're pushing because you thought you had tried everything. I had, I, I had done everything that I was eating right. I was in the recovery. We had a beautiful recovery center at the training center that allowed you to go in and do cold whirlpool and, you know, sauna and everything. Massages. Massage I, everything. I watched what I ate to a mm -hmm. T. I was making sure that my diet was on point. Everything that I was eating, I was at, I was spending all my money at Whole Foods to make sure that I was buying organic, organic meat or, and my, paycheck wasn't that high at that time <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I was determined to do everything whatever we had to do I was going to be the first one. I was trying to do extra repetitions or whatever in the weight room I was doing extra workout with the strength trainer I did everything that they say you're supposed to mentally I had I was doing meditations on positive affirmations I had put up this post-it notes in the morning you know the first thing that I see on my mirror is Teresa you're a 2008 six, uh, 2008 Olympian you're the starting outside hitter for the the things that you're supposed to do, that you're supposed mm -hmm. to tell yourself, you know, all of it. So I had done everything that I had read, that I had been told, that I had been taught to do. And it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So after that, I was completely, I mean, what do you do after that? How do you yeah. have faith in something after that? How do you believe in yourself after everything that you believe didn't work? Mm -hmm. You know, so I was shocked. So to get from there to where I am now. So my career ended with me very scared. I actually got offered, Hugh called me back to the national team to come and train in 2010. I'm not quite sure what he saw me. I think when Hugh was in the gym, when he was an assistant coach at Doug Beal, I was in the gym with Toshi mm -hmm. um, on the national team. Then I still had my confidence. I think he had saw me training there and the intensity that I had there. Then the men went to a separate place than the women. And I don't we think went to California. You guys went to California. You guys we stayed there. So when I got the shaky part, he never saw me. Thank mm. God. Well, that does it for this episode. You're definitely going to find out what he saw in her and what she saw in herself or did not see in herself and get some tools, some tips on moving your career forward. Doesn't matter if you're an amateur or a professional. Really, she's got so much, and so this project that she started, Connect With Your Gift, is just the perfect thing for Therese, because when you listen to her, when you see her, and what she radiates, and, and all of the lessons and, and things that she's done, all of that combined, you just understand, this is somebody that I definitely, I definitely need to like get with. I've got to get on the same page with her, I've got to connect with her as much as I can, and definitely, you're going to start connecting with your gift. So, hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you stay tuned for Sunday. The episode will release number 56, which will be the second part to this one. And these last three episodes, or these three in total, are kind of a package deal for the Retreat Tara experience. Make sure you get out there and you check them out. That's going to be linked up in the show notes. I believe it is retreattara.com. But definitely check the show notes to make sure. So until next weekend or this weekend, be more.
now I'm up in the courts, pleading my case from the witness box. Telling the judge and the jury the same thing that I said to the cops on the day that I got arrested. What we doing live? Echoes in eternity. I'm gonna show you how great I am. And this concludes our Chicago show. Please stay tuned.